there, Tom D'Antoni here with another Coffee Shop Conversation and Walk-Up Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason. With us in the cupping room is the founder of The Slants, Simon Tam, also known as Simon Young. Don't worry, I'll ask him about that. They are the purveyors of Chinatown Rock, a combination of punk, synth-pop, rock, and their own special sauce. Yes, their name is a key factor. Simon chose it because it is a band made up of all Asian Americans, hence the joke, The Slants, but which has a deeper meaning, and we'll get into that. You may have read about their ongoing legal dispute with the federal government over the trademarking of their name. The feds say it's disparaging to Asian Americans. The band says, well, you know, we are Asian Americans. So of course, we'll get into that. Let's talk to Simon. by two different names. <laughs> yes. Well, kind of. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's not unusual. Not, not unusual. As a matter of fact, it's not unusual for Asians either, because before you, there was uh, um, um, Pete Ho, also known as Pete Miser, who's now a big MC DJ and, and uh, a hip-hop guy in New York. Yeah. He's with Five Fingers of Fun. So, and I, when I saw that you had two, I said, like, well, I just... As a matter of fact, I just played Pete Ho on my on my radio show not long ago. Small world. It is. It is. So, uh, so you were born as Simon Tam. That's my legal name. Okay. Yes. Okay. So why why did you uh, adopt Young? So, uh, the band that I had previous to this one, yeah, in, in that group, the Stivs, everybody in the band had a stage name. And so I thought, well, I can't be left out. I got to have one too. And so we were thinking of different stage names. I thought of different first names and, and that kind of thing. But um, we ended up with Simon Young because the, uh-huh. the band was really influenced by ACDC. Ah. And so we thought of the, the Young Brothers. And they're like, oh, and it sounds like it could be Asian or something like that. So <laughs> right. I was like, sure, why not? And I thought it was catchy. So I started using it. When I started the slants, um, right after I left that band, most of the initial fan base were people who followed the Stivs. So I just carried the stage name over so that they knew who it was, yeah. and um, and it just kind of stuck. But ever since our trademark story went out a couple years ago, yeah. and and some people referred to me as Simon Young, some people referred to me as Simon Tam. I was like, look, that is just it's already out. I'm just going to use my name here, so. Were the Stivs really on Price is Right? Well, yes, not as contestants, but we went on the show, so <laughs> that was that was one of the most fun things we've to ever do did. What to play? Well, no, we originally went because we wanted to be contestants, yeah. but the producers the producers didn't want a bunch of punk rockers on stage with Bob Barker, <laughs> but. Um, Word got around somehow. Uh, oh, during you know, like between filmings, Bob Barker would like talk to the audience and he'd say like, "Do we have any groups here?" And people from some schools would say, "Yeah," or "Or we're from the Navy or whatever." We jumped up. We're like, "We're in a band!" And he started asking us questions. So when he got back from commercial break, Bob Barker's like, "We have a rock band in the audience." <laughs> but the funny thing is, he couldn't he couldn't pronounce the name and he oh, couldn't no. figure it out. He's like, "What are they called? The Sivs? The Slivs? I don't I don't know." And then, and then like everyone's like yelling out "Stivs" and spelling it out. And he's like, "Oh, the Stivs are here." And then he made some jokes about like we would have 
we would have them play, but you know they don't have their instruments here, so. Um, but it, you know, it's not like that's our target audience. We're just this like <laughs> yes. ACDC meets the Stooges kind of thing. So it wasn't like we made a bunch of fans in that studio, but it was definitely fun. And then afterwards, we were walking back to the van uh, after we left the studio, and we can hear people talking, and 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 then some people behind us are like, "There's that van, yeah, the, the Strokes were here." <laughs> I was like, we look nothing like the Strokes, but I'll take it. That's funny. And did you actually get to meet Bob? Uh, we, we, and shake his hand? No, we didn't get to do that. We gave him a Stiv's button, like a little like one-inch button, and he put it on his suit, so that was nice. Um, but we didn't get called up, and they're they're really particular about who would be allowed to approach the stage and not. <laughs> But still, that was—I mean—that was a lot of fun. It was a great, unique experience, and something that most bands don't go through. No, so. no. I, I, is, has there ever been another one? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. But it's probably unique it's, it's in the my, world. Yeah, my goal is actually to take the slants, the Family Feud. I really want to compete on that. I think I think we'd be pretty good actually, and we could even compete against another band or just your general American family, I'll, whoever it might be. I'll take them on. So we we operate like a family. So I think it I think it would fit. That's funny. And so so you started the slants after you came to Portland, yes? A couple of years after I came here. I mean, I moved up for the Stivs. Did you? And so I was doing the Stivs for about a year and a half. Uh-huh. And then I got a little frustrated. And I, at the same time, I had this idea for the Slants. So I thought, well, I'm going to just move things on over and start this new band. Frustrated in what way? Uh, some of the band members weren't taking it quite as seriously as I hoped. And we had just released an album. We worked with Jack and Dino, who you know is a great producer, did like Murder City Devils, Nirvana, and all, all this. So we had a lot of momentum behind the band. But we would start going to shows, and half my band would show up completely wasted. And I was like, this is – and I don't spend all my time booking these shows and doing all these things for this to happen. So I, I decided it wasn't right for me, and I, I, I stepped down. The founding guy left at the same time as me, and so the band kind of broke apart after that. Was the, the band named after Steve Bader's The Dead Boys? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you know your your punk rock history. <laughs> I do. I do. So yeah, that's great. Uh, Sonic producer, right? Sonic that producer. That was a big. Yeah, I, I mean, they never really had a big hit, so to speak. But if there was one, yes. that would be <laughs> it. <laughs> Did you ever cover that? Uh, no, we actually we didn't really cover songs. Well, other I mean, than, of all, but of all the songs you could have covered, yeah, we, we we covered uh, "It's a Long Way to the Top" if you want to rock and roll from yeah. ACDC, and then and then we did uh, "Shake Appeal" once from, from Stooges, and I think that was I think that was it for covers. <laughs> but we we talked about it. Yeah. Um, they all just thought, well, that's just too stiff-like. So, like, what does that even mean? I mean, being stiff-like would be throwing pieces of lunch meat at the crowd. Oh, right. I don't know. <laughs> right. So we're like, that's yeah. funny. Either way, it, it all worked out. Yeah. So, uh, did you? When did you? When did you? Uh, when did your 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 punctum come out? My like, when did I start getting into punk rock in my personal life? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that did, was probably like. Early high school, like ninth grade, yeah. I, I remember. Yeah, eight, around eighth grade, I, I started going to this record shop called Off the Record in San Diego, and started collecting vinyl. And I started out with um, Lookout Records material, so like early '90s pop punk. 
which of course was all derived from the Ramones. So I just kind of worked my way back through time. And then at the same yeah, and then at that time I was like, okay, well I like Lookout Records, so maybe I'll like um, stuff on Kill Rock Stars. And so I started getting Uh really into that kind of music. And then so when I got into high school, I was all about like the Ramones and Ramones core type music, you know, Screeching Weasel, the Queers, um, bands like that, and and it just kind of stuck with me. And and I, so I played in mainly punk rock bands, uh, including the Civs, uh, up until uh, the Slants, of course. I, I was once quoted in an ad that ran in Rolling Stones for the Ramones' first album. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I, saw, I saw them a few times, and my ears are still ringing. <laughs> bad. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was never able to catch them live. I, I've seen different members of the band. Yeah. Um, and, and their solo projects like Dee Dee, uh, right. uh, Marky, and yeah. CJ, but that's kind of it. <laughs> um, so, was was that your? You, were you listening to anything before you you discovered that stuff? Oh yeah, I mean I loved music growing up, yeah. and so the the reason why I played bass guitar, like I, I started at the age of ten, was because of Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses, really? and. I, I remember just loving Guns N' Roses. Like my friend and I would make mixtapes of just GNR songs and trade them to each other. Like, oh, I like this order of songs. These are my favorite songs. And we'd listen to them on the bus. And that, but when I went back and looked at my fifth grade yearbook, under my favorite song, I'd listed Boys in the Hood from Easy E. So like, clearly, I had like a couple different things. Um, and I remember in second grade for show and tell, yeah. I, I brought. Um, the New Order single for for Shell Shock and Bizarre Love Triangle, and I was like, "This is New Order. They're like Depeche Mode." And uh, like the kids were just like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> the teacher's like, "Is that appropriate for class?" <laughs> so, um, like, it's music. It's great. Yeah. What's your first band? My first band? Yeah. Uh, God, I don't know if I can remember now, but I guess I, I guess that had a name. Uh, we had a lot of names. Well, my first real band, the band that actually played it yeah. a bunch, would probably be a group called the Rockaway Teens. And so we did about 70 oh, or 80 shows. Rockaway Beach? Yes. Oh, okay. And, you know, we did cover Rockaway Beach. And in uh, Rock and Roll High School, KDK yeah. took my baby away. So we, I saw Rock and Roll High School drive came out. Oh, wow. Yes. So I, I remember hunting all over for that film. Now, yeah. now you just get it anywhere. But anywhere. Um, so that was my first band, and we used to ditch school to go on tour, and somehow my parents were okay with it at the time, which, um, that was a lot of fun. So, it came, came with a very specific mindset, we all dressed the same, we all wore high-top chucks, and black leather jackets, I mean, we were like a mini Ramones, I guess. So it, but it was a good time. You could do a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had, I, I really cool. enjoyed it, and... Yeah. Every once in a while, someone will still like contact me, like, man, I remember back in the early '90s, I listened to your band, and I was like, we were terrible. Why did you, why did you do that? <laughs> so, um, so you started uh, started Stiv started up in L.A. No, um, Stivs were started here in Portland. Actually, oh, okay, they were around for a little while. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was when I was living in California. I was just a promoter, so I would yeah. I would photograph the band. I would uh, put on shows for them, book a bunch of their Southern California dates, and so I knew them pretty well. 
and I just kept dropping hints. I was like, you know, you need a real bass player, so <laughs> if you ever need one, give me a call. And um, eventually, they they just, their bass player, who was really a guitar player, wanted to play guitar. And they thought, why don't we have two guitars in the band? So um, that's when they asked me to, to join the band. I basically moved up. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and at the time, I was actually a senior in college, a couple months away from graduating on a full ride. I was about to get a double major. What was that? UC Riverside. Uh -huh. And then I thought... What were the majors? Uh, philosophy and religious studies. So I was really into thinking wow. about how I would be broke later in life, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I thought it would be a great idea to drop out of college and join a punk rock band. <laughs> and it all worked out for me eventually. But, <laughs> but I, I didn't really think of like how difficult it would be to get back into school and, uh -huh. and pay for it and, and, yeah. until... I actually had to do it. You did? Yeah, I ended up taking a bunch of student loans out and changed my majors, so I had to kind of start over a little bit. Where'd you finish up? Uh, eventually, Merrillhurst University. I got really? my uh, MBA there. Uh -huh. So, yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, I never would have seen that coming. <laughs> so you do all those things for, for the slants, right? Those things that you did before you joined the Stibs. Yeah, so I, I manage the band, yeah. I, I handle all the business, I, I basically act like a, a babysitter. So I <laughs> oversee like five adults for, for a living on the road. I'm like, okay, it's time to wake up now. Yeah. Until that, you get on stage. Until I get on stage. And, and then what happens? Then I get to be myself. <laughs> I get to play. I get to play rock and roll and have a great time. And, uh, you know... I just have the best time in the world. I, 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 a lot of times people tell me I am a completely different person on stage than I am off stage. So uh, I guess I'm, I'm much more outgoing and alive and, and a little bit loud or brash on stage than I am off stage, where I tend to be very quiet and reserved. Yeah, where you tend to be a philosophy major with an MBA. Yes. <laughs> I just like, yeah. Which doesn't, that doesn't really serve you on stage, though, does it? No, no. Not, not at all. I mean, I guess I could think about like, you know, the experience and whether it's really happening or if it's just me imagining it's happening. Uh, but that's that's funny because I, I I was asked to to read at a at a, at a show a, a couple couple months ago, mm -hmm. and I have I wrote this gross out humor book a few years ago called <laughs> Rabid Not Infects Entire Convent because I used to write for a tablet supermarket tabloid. <laughs> Sounds and like fun. So the thing was, so I, I went, well, I haven't read from this for a long time. So I went, I went and did it, and, and I hadn't looked at it for a long time. And I, and I didn't review it when I before reading it because I was so familiar with it. And I'm standing there reading it, and I am thinking about the experience at the same time. I'm thinking, holy shit, I didn't realize how fucked up this was because the story was grandma turns pet dog inside out looking for lost lottery ticket. And so, you know, that's pretty that's valid to be in, in, in both places. Yeah, it's just a little surreal experience. Correct. So why not? <laughs> so what was, uh, what, what was the concept when you started the slants? And, and why, why all Asian people? Well... I guess I'd have to back up a little bit. Yeah. So growing up, I experienced some pretty harsh 
uh, racism. Like I was beat up several times. I had rocks and things thrown at me, and it got to a point where I didn't want to be considered Asian. Like I felt ashamed of being Chinese American, and I didn't want anything to do with my culture. So I just kind of really got away from it and anything that might pin me to it, other than you know looking the way I do. When I finally moved to Portland, of all places, you know, the whitest city in America, I started missing my culture, the food, the language, and those things. So I started getting into films and and, and, uh, books, and I thought, like, okay, like, now I feel like I was missing out on something. And during that time period, someone kept telling me, you got to watch Kill Bill, because I had missed it in the theater. I'm like, you would love it. You should should check it out. And so I I bought it on DVD the, the day it came out put it in the player in my apartment and I remember watching it and there's this one iconic scene where Oranishi uh, walks through this restaurant and behind her these this gang the crazy 88s of like these kind of mafia guys and I remember I just had to pause because that was the first time that I had ever seen Asians or Asian Americans depicted as cool and confident and sexy in an American produced film I could not think of any other example. And then I thought about my own art and my own industry, which is music. And I thought, wait a second, there's 17 million Asians in this country. How come we're not in the charts? How come there's nobody on the radio? I've never seen anybody that looked like me in the music magazines and maybe the random guy in Smashing Pumpkins. And I thought, like, and this is before Journey had (laughs) their new singer. So I was like, why is that? And... So I decided, like, I wanted to create that vibe. I wanted it to be so when I came on stage that perhaps other people would see us and think, I could be like that too one day. Like, that is cool. Like, you know, we wanted to break these stereotypes that Asians were just quiet and reserved and that all we did was play piano or violin. I was like, we want to play some rock and roll. We want to get loud and have a good time. And so that's when the concept came about. And, of course, to make that happen, I needed at least a majority of Asian-American um, musicians. Yeah. So when, when we first started, we actually had two people who weren't Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, but they eventually left, and, and so other other musicians came in. And that's now, uh, at least for the past six years, we've been all Asian-American uh, to some, some degree. But yeah. And the name, obviously, is like NWA. In a way, but it's a little yeah. different in that slant is uh, – not an inherent racial slur. It can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. So the name was thought of about two years before I had a lineup. Is that right? And yeah, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine. I was talking about this idea, what I wanted to do. And then I said, you know, what's, what's, what's a stereotype? What's something you think all Asians have in common? Yeah. Of course, they said slanted eyes. And I thought the slants. And I thought this is really interesting because, number one, it sounds like a band that Debbie Harry would front, and I really like that idea. Um, number two, we could talk about our own perspective or our slant on life of what it's like to be an Asian American, yeah. um, while at the same time kind of paying homage to activists who are trying to reappropriate this term and use it in like yeah. a self-empowerment kind of way. Yeah. So I thought, oh, this is really cool. It means a lot of different things, and for like total guitar geeks – like a, there's slant guitar chords and slant guitar cabinets, and I and I tell people that and they just stare at me blankly like what? Oh yeah, there's the Marshall slant cab or something like that. But I'm like no, like you get it? Um, yeah, it's only a few gearheads really really have caught up on that one.
one. So, uh, but yeah, that's how where the name came about. That's great because most people form a band first and then spend two years trying to figure out a name. <laughs> yeah, I, well, this band was definitely different. So I walked in after being in the Stivs and after like having all these plans and ideas. I walked into this band with most of the first album already written. Like I, they were songs that I were going to use for the Stivs, but I kind of reach, changed them up a little bit musically. And then I had a very distinct plan. I was like, okay, within the first year, we're going to be on tour. We're going to be playing it. Uh, and then I thought of anime conventions. I came across an experience at one. I thought, this is a great market. So we're going to do this. And like, I only want experienced people joining this band, people who 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 like traveling and that sort of thing. And so when I had the lineup, when we finally got the first lineup together, everybody was pretty on point. They were on board. So within three months of our first show, we had our first album out We uh, and we were on tour. And it was just like everything that I had been planning for, for like years and years. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So maybe it came from, I don't know, the business degree or something. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> So, being organized and knowing what you want is a, a probably a very rare thing in the music business. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely helped that I was booking tours for other bands at the time, and so like I already had the contacts and I already kind of had an idea of what I wanted to get done. It was just a matter of making sure that the rest of the band was on the same page. Yeah. Um, so. Obviously, that leads to this federal lawsuit. Yes. Uh, and so you try to copyright the name of the band? A trademark. But trademark. Yeah. yeah we, well, uh, we tried to get a uh, trademark registration. So technically, we have a trademark because you get trademarks just from using it in commerce. Kind of like if you write a song, you technically have a copyright, even if it's not official. So. We, we have a working trademark, but we wanted to get a trademark registration because we'd been, at that point, when we applied, we've done a couple hundred shows across North America. We were pretty active in, uh, in the national scene, so our attorney said, hey, you really ought to get this uh, trademark registration. And so that was in late 2009, early 2010 when we first applied for that. Yeah, it's been a little bit over five years, so it's it's been a little mind-boggling that that simple thing. I remember at the time I was like, "Do we really need one?" And he's like, "This is something that bands do." He's like, "Believe me, it'll only be a couple hundred bucks. It's gonna take you like three months, and then it'll be over, and then you'll have it for the, for the rest of the time." So he's like, "It's really easy." So I was like, "Okay." And uh, five years later, five years later, tens of thousands of dollars later. Uh, countless hours and uh, and we're still fighting it now we're you know in october i'm going to washington dc before a full panel of judges at the federal circuit so one step below the supreme court to uh talk about this trademark registration and then ultimately whether this law that the trademark office is using is constitutional or not so uh potentially the first amendment could be altered because of this Asian American band. Well, what is their argument? Well, there are. It's it seems like it's fairly cut and dry. And I, you know, one would hope, but, would think, yeah. but that's government, so right. you know. Um, they're using this old law from the 1940s that basically says people can't register a trademark uh, if it's considered disparaging 
immoral or scandalous. <laughs> and so they, out of those three, they said that our name is disparaging. They said, you guys, your name is disparaging to persons of Asian descent. And we're like, we are of Asian descent. Yes, but that's not good enough for them. So they're like, well, hold on a second. UrbanDictionary.com says it's offensive. Uh, we got this photo. Oh, that's, that's, that's expert opinion. I, apparently, because anyone can put a de definition yes. in. Yes. Um, they had this photo of Miley Cyrus pulling her eyes back in a slant-eyed gesture, which is a gesture is a lot different than a word. And, uh, and they're like, there you go. And the, uh, oh, by the way, these white supremacists say that it's offensive too. And that was it. So we we did. We hammered them. I mean, we got like a national survey done. We had one of the editors at the New American Oxford Dictionary write a huge report on the history of the term and why what we were doing was not offensive. We had uh, testimonies from like internment camp survivors. Jeez. You know, people have been screwed over by the U.S. government. Asians have been screwed over by more than anyone else. That we should probably listen to their opinion yeah. um, on what's offensive or not. Um, People like that, on and on, thousands and thousands of pages of evidence, and they still said, "No, you are you're just too offensive. Uh, we can't find proof of it, but you are disparaging." And so finally, we 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 decided to take a step back, and this is where we are with this current application. We said, "Hold on a second. In the entire history of the United States, this is the only case to ever have been denied slant." on the grounds of being disparaging to Asians, on the grounds of being racist. Yeah. Why is this case racist, but not the hundreds of other slants that you said were totally fine? Right. And I said, oh, that's easy. It, it's incontestable that, that, that you're Asian. And not only are we, you guys Asian, they said we are too Asian. <laughs> They're like, look, that's the context in uh, of this word and because it says the slants and you guys got photos of Asians all over your website in other words my band yes. they're like you guys got this illustration of an Asian woman on a cover and you got dragons in your art like you know artwork of our respective heritages of course right. and they said that that makes it too Asian so people automatically think of the racial slur and not any other possible definition so that was their whole reasoning um, but if you really think about it I can't change the context. The context, the context is our ethnicities. Right. So the only way to do this would be if I fired everybody in my band who's Asian and replaced them with non-Asians. And uh, apparently, that is less racist to, to the trademark office. That's crazy. And 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 to them, they would rather that happen or to have anybody trademark it except for Asian people, and that's what they consider acceptable as as law. So oh, it's loony. Oh, it's mind-boggling that they feel like that's justified. And so this is why we've been fighting it so hard because the, the reality is it's a lot bigger than our band. I mean, you yeah. you work with a lot of artists. You know that the career of a band is usually not that long. So right. the, the odds are pretty good that I may still be fighting this after the band's done. <laughs> but the principle at stake is what's the bigger issue here. Right. Because fundamentally, whether you think the name is offensive or not, I think we can all agree that people shouldn't be denied rights based on their race. That's just something un-American and something that's wrong. Right. And um, so hence, 
it's a lot of hours, a lot of dollars, a lot of talking about it. We, we've been fighting hard, and we've been trying to expose this law for what it is. You know, because when when I started looking into it, they've been using this law to disproportionately apply to minorities than anybody else. And uh, any any slur that you can think of right now for an Asian person mm-hmm. has been has a registered trademark. Really? Yes. Any 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 of them. And when you look through the record, the people that have been denied those same trademark registra- registrations are Asians who want to use it in a positive, reappropriated manner. So they're using this to try and suppress our expression of of a certain uh, idea, which is that changing the meaning of words, you could change society or, or change perception of things. Um, they don't. They don't like that. So, so they instead deny it and pretend like our voice doesn't exist or count. Do, do you know if NWA got, got registered? So NWA is a registered trademark. Jeez. And whenever we point that out, they're yeah. like, "Oh, well, that's because it's an acronym." But you know, but if I were to use their their same argument, I'd be yeah. like, "Well, what's the context?" Yeah. Do they only go by NWA? No. Is there no? Is there you know? No mystery over the what the words are. I mean, of course we know what it all means, and and that's the that's the thing. It's like when you look back through the history of this, uh, people with money tend to get away with it, whereas people with less money don't. So queer eye for the straight guy, no problems at all. Right. But when someone wanted to make a T-shirt that said clearly queer, the trademark office says, nope, that's too scandalous. That's that's disparaging to gay people. And the, it's like from gay activists using these T-shirts, so it's it's they're really inconsistent and their logic sucks. It doesn't have any logic. Yeah, I would say no logic at all. Well, does, does that does that impact you know the work of the band? I mean, it takes away some of my energy and, and resources, obviously, because I have to dedicate a certain amount of time or cash to, to fight this case. But um, I don't know. It, it, it kind of cuts both ways. So, like, yeah, it takes away our attention and, and, and makes us have to, like, do a lot of legal work, which most bands don't have to do. Um, but at the same time, it's also opened up a lot of doors, too. Like, we probably wouldn't be here talking about this today if it wasn't for the case or I wouldn't have been in Time Magazine or NPR as many times yeah. if it wasn't for this case that people find fascinating right. so um, and now I go around and travel as a speaker talking about anti-racism sometimes ironically on behalf of the US government um, and those things wouldn't happen if it wasn't for um, the tension that this case has received Jeez. So yeah, it's funny. Like I got, I don't know if you recall this. This happened in the news in like 2010, 2011. Yeah. But there was um, a lot of violence committed against Asian American soldiers, mm-hmm. like through extremely cruel hazing practices. And a couple of soldiers actually died. Mm-hmm. Well, to kind of build cultural awareness, the Department of Defense contacts us and like, you guys want to do a tour of soldiers? You know we. And so the government uses us when they need us to, to promote a message of tolerance or to fight for Asian American identity. And then they turn around and 
call us racist when they disagree with us, like the trademark office. And you just say, hey, we'll trade you for the trademark. How about that? We'll trade you a show for the trademark. That would be a good deal. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, um, different departments, a lot different amounts of red tape. So, so what's happening creatively with the band? We are we're working on a record right now. So we we have a new lineup. We have a new singer who joined a, a little bit over a year ago. We got a new guitar player who joined six weeks ago. Wow. So we are. Um, in, busy in the studio. We, what we've decided to do is take uh, five songs from each of our first three albums and do kind of like a best of album, but rather than just re-releasing the songs as is, we're, we're kind of reimagining them with our newer sound, with our newer guitarist and uh, singer involved. And so we're going to be releasing that this fall. And uh, we're going on tour to support it. Then when we come back from the road, we're going to work on writing all new originals. And then we're doing a tour uh, to Asia in uh, March and April. So we're going to go to Taiwan, China, and Japan. Wow. So this is definitely, it's really exciting. And I've, I got a band who's completely committed, who's flexible, who and who's hungry to be on the road. Uh, are any of the existing videos that you have, any of those include the new singer? Uh, just the live footage. Well, actually, the... The two new music videos we just released yeah. um, have the lead singer in them, but it's not his vocals oh. because they're okay. they're from our previous gotcha. record. Gotcha. Um, but he makes cameos and does things, so okay. you know it's part of it. It's a fun way to kind of introduce him as we start shifting towards these other yeah. things. How has that has has that personnel those, those personnel changes? Uh, how have they affected the sound of the band? Or well, have they? Uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, over the years, we've had a lot of people come and go. Yeah. And so naturally, as different people come into the band, they kind of bring their own particular flavor mm -hmm. of the, to, to the group. And um, so that that's natural. But I think our sound has evolved naturally anyways. Like we, we tend to be in this world where we're kind of playing 80s synth pop and we're kind of playing modern indie dance rock. Mm -hmm. And so we've always kind of swung back and forth between those two worlds. Yeah. And, and I think we're still trying to find that particular balance. Wow. But I think with our new singer, because he's he doesn't have like the punk rock swagger of our previous one, mm -hmm. I think we'll probably have a little bit more pop influences, mm -hmm. make, make it a little more melodic, mm -hmm. uh, just to, to fit his personality and style. Yeah. Must be, it's a very special thing must be, for, for a performer to be able to make people dance. Yeah, and it's, yeah. I don't know, it's always so much fun. Like, I feel so honored when people get up and get, get uh, involved with the music. When they start dancing, it yeah. it just gives you this incredible feeling. Like There's nothing like it on earth. Yeah, because there, you have this unique connection that's special right then and there. Right. That what you're doing is actually making their body move. Yeah. It's, a, it's a direct reaction. And, and so it's just something... As a as an artist, it's just incredible because you won't have that moment again. Not at least nothing that's exactly the same as that particular moment. Yeah. And it's a kind of energy that you're sharing with that audience. So it's really, really incredible. It must be tremendously gratifying. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course. It's a lot better than when they're seated and just staring at you. <laughs> so what? You know, whenever we play shows where people are seated, like we we actually did one uh, a week and a half ago at the Portland uh, the the Jade Market. It was a festival 
We had over a thousand people there. Most, most most of them were in chairs. So as soon as we began, we were like trying to encourage them to get out of their seats. Yeah. And a few people started coming up front. And so we started jumping. We jumped off the stage into the crowd, started pulling them out of their chairs and, and having them get up and dance. And, and so when that happened, then more people saw it and we'll, you know, were a little less shy and joined. So it, it became this, just this really fun uh, dance party. and. You know, outside Portland under the stars. I mean, you can't beat that. Yeah, I guess it really does make all this legal bullshit worth it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when I'm up there playing, I don't. I'm not thinking about. Right. Hmm, when do I need to file that appeal? <laughs> I hope you're not. You know, I gotta talk to my attorney later. It's no. It's just about the music, which yeah. is what I set out to do. Yeah. I mean. Through and through, I feel like I was put on this earth to make music, not to fight the law. Right. But I am passionate about the law. I am passionate about issues of justice. Yeah. So it's really odd to have them all come together in this band. Yeah. Like, I mean, mind-blowing sometimes. I just, when I really think about it. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks a lot for, you know, for coming by. I really appreciate it. And, you know, best of luck with this thing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I, I, I can't imagine anyone who is not on your side, except unless they're wearing a robe. <laughs> <laughs> There's a handful of people, but, but you know, the, the few people who are opposed to us, with, with they do it from a place of fear because yeah. they – uh, they don't want the Redskins to get their trademark registrations back or that kind of thing. But my whole argument is that we shouldn't write laws around the people at the edges, the Dan Snyders of the world. Right. And the cost of like inhibiting free speech should not be paid by marginalized communities, like right. especially by artists. Like Artists have always been the ones to provoke a little bit, to push and say, you know what, society isn't where it needs to be, but we express it through our art. And I think that we need to respect that because it what it's what makes our society and our world so special. Like if we didn't have music, if we didn't have painters if, or people who were willing to challenge things, yeah. uh, this would be a terrible place to live. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and if we, and if we didn't have people to make to make, to make us dance. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for coming to the coffee shop. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.